Section three of The Magic Skin by Honore Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section three. Intellect has made an end of everything, cried the Carlist. Come now. Absolute freedom has brought about national suicides. Their triumph left them as listless as an English millionaire. Won't you tell us something new? You have made fun of authority of all sorts to-day, which is every bit as vulgar as denying the existence of God. So you have no belief left, and the century is like an old sultan, worn out by debauchery. Your Byron, in short, sings of crime and its emotions in a final despair of poetry. Don't you know, replied Bianchon, quite drunk by this time, that a dose of phosphorus, more or less, makes the man of genius, or the scoundrel, a clever man or an idiot, a virtuous person or a criminal. Can any one treat of virtue thus, cried Cursey, virtue, the subject of every drama at the theatre, the denouement of every play, the foundation of every court of law? Be quiet, you ass. You are an Achilles for virtue without his heel, said Bixiou. Some drink. What will you bet that I will drink a bottle of champagne like a flash, at one pull? What a flash of wit! Drunk as lords, muttered a young man gravely, trying to give some wine to his waistcoat. Yes, sir, real government is the art of ruling by public opinion. Opinion, that is the most vicious jade of all. According to you moralists and politicians, the laws you set up are always to go before those of nature and opinion before conscience. You are right and wrong both. Suppose society bestows down pillows on us, that benefit is made up for by the gout, and justice is likewise tempered by red tape, and coals accompany cashmere shawls. Wretch, Emile broke in upon the misanthrope. How could you slander civilization here at table up to the eyes in wines and exquisite dishes? Eat away at that roebuck with gilded horns and feet, and do not carp at your mother. Is it any fault of mine if Catholicism puts a million deities in a sack of flour, that republics will end in a Napoleon? that monarchy dwells between the assassination of henry the fourth and the trial of louis the sixteenth and liberalism produces lafayettes didn't you embrace him in july no then hold your tongue you sceptic sceptics are the most conscientious of men they have no conscience what are you saying they have two apiece at least so you want to discount heaven a thoroughly commercial notion ancient religions were but the unchecked development of physical pleasure but we have developed a soul and expectations some advance has been made what can you expect my friends of a century filled with politics to repletion asked nathan what befell the history of the king of bohemia and his seven castles a most entrancing conception i say the would-be critic cried down the whole length of the table the phrases might have been drawn at haphazard from a hat twas a work written down to charenton you are a fool you are a rogue oh oh aha they are going to fight no they aren't you will find me to-morrow sir this very moment nathan answered come come you pair of fire-eaters you are another said the prime mover in the quarrel 
i can't stand upright perhaps asked the pugnacious nathan straightening himself up like a stag beetle about to fly he stared stupidly round the table then completely exhausted by the effort sank back into his chair and mutely hung his head would it not have been nice the critic said to his neighbour to fight about a book i have neither read nor seen emile look out for your coat your neighbour is growing pale said bixiou can't yet another ball flung out for fools to sport with sir materialism and spiritualism are a fine pair of battledores with which charlatans in long gowns keep a shuttlecock a-going suppose that god is everywhere as spinoza says or that all things proceed from god as says st paul the nincompoops the door shuts or opens but isn't the movement the same does the fowl come from the egg or the egg from the fowl just hand me some duck and there you have all science simpleton cried the man of science your problem is settled by fact what fact professors chairs are not made for philosophy but philosophy for the professors chairs put on a pair of spectacles and read the budget thieves nincompoops knaves gulls where but in paris will you find such a ready and rapid exchange of thought cried bixiou in a deep bass voice bixiou act a classical farce for us come now would you like me to depict the nineteenth century silence pay attention clap a muffle on your trumpets shut up you turk give him some wine and let that fellow keep quiet now then bixiou the artist buttoned his black coat to the collar put on yellow gloves and began to burlesque the revue de dumont by acting a squinting old lady but the uproar drowned his voice and no one heard a word of the satire still if he did not catch the spirit of the century he represented the review at any rate for his own intentions were not very clear to him dessert was served as if by magic a huge epergne of gilded bronze from tomire's studio overshadowed the table tall statuettes which a celebrated artist had imbued with ideal beauty according to conventional european notions sustained and carried pyramids of strawberries pines fresh dates golden grapes clear-skinned peaches oranges brought from sedubal by steamer pomegranates chinese fruit in short all the surprises of luxury miracles of confectionery the most tempting dainties and choicest delicacies the colouring of this epicurean work of art was enhanced by the splendours of porcelain by sparkling outlines of gold by the chasing of the vases poussin's landscapes copied on servreware were crowned with graceful fringes of moss green translucent and fragile as ocean weeds the revenue of a german prince would not have defrayed the cost of this arrogant display silver and mother-of-pearl gold and crystal were lavished afresh in new forms but scarcely a vague idea of this almost oriental fairyland penetrated eyes now so heavy with wine or crossed the delirium of intoxication the fire and fragrance of the wines acted like potent filters and magical fumes producing a kind of mirage in the brain 
binding feet and weighing down hands the clamour increased words were no longer distinct glasses flew in pieces senseless peals of laughter broke out cursy snatched up a horn and struck up a flourish on it it acted like a signal given by the devil yells hisses songs cries and groans went up from the maddened crew you might have smiled to see men light-hearted by nature grow tragical as criblion's dramas and pensive as a sailor in a coach hard-headed men blabbed secrets to the inquisitive who were long past heeding them saturnine faces were wreathed in smiles worthy of a pirouetting dancer claude vignon shuffled about like a bear in a cage intimate friends began to fight animal likenesses so curiously traced by physiologists in human faces came out in gestures and behaviour a book lay open for a bicot if he had repaired thither fasting and collected the master of the house knowing his condition did not dare stir but encouraged his guests extravagances with a fixed grimacing smile meant to be hospitable and appropriate his large face turning from blue and red to a purple shade terrible to see partook of the general commotion by movements like the heaving and pitching of a brig now did you murder them emile asked him capital punishment is going to be abolished they say in favour of the revolution of july answered taliffet raising his eyebrows with drunken sagacity don't they rise up before you in dreams at times raphael persisted there's a statute of limitations cried the murderer croesus and on his tombstone emile began with a sardonic laugh the stonemason will carve passer-by accord a tear in memory of one that's here oh he continued i would cheerfully pay a hundred sous to any mathematician who would prove the existence of hell to me by an algebraical equation he flung up a coin and cried heads for the existence of god don't look raphael cried pouncing upon it who knows suspense is so pleasant unluckily emile said with burlesque melancholy i can see no halting pace between the unbelievers arithmetic and the papal paternoster pshaw let us drink trac was i believe the oracular answer of the dive bouteille and the final conclusion of pantraguel we owe our arts and monuments to the paternoster and our knowledge too perhaps and a still greater benefit modern government whereby a vast and teeming society is wondrously represented by some five hundred intellects it neutralizes opposing forces and gives free play to civilization that titan queen who has succeeded the ancient terrible figure of the king that sham providence reared by men between himself and heaven in the face of such achievements atheism seems like a barren skeleton what do you say i am thinking of the seas of blood shed by catholicism emile replied quite unimpressed it has drained our hearts and veins dry to make a mimic deluge no matter every man 
who thinks must range himself beneath the banner of christ for he alone has consummated the triumph of spirit over matter he alone has revealed to us like a poet an intermediate world that separates us from the deity believest thou asked raphael with an unaccountable drunken smile very good we must not commit ourselves so we will drink the celebrated toast dei ignotis and they drained the chalice filled up with science carbonic acid gas perfumes poetry and incredulity if the gentlemen will go to the drawing-room coffee is ready for them said the major-domo there was scarcely one of those present whose mind was not floundering by this time in the delights of chaos where every spark of intelligence is quenched and the body set free from its tyranny gives itself up to the frenetic joys of liberty some who had arrived at the apogee of intoxication were dejected as they painfully tried to arrest a single thought which might assure them of their own existence others deep in the heavy morasses of indigestion denied the possibility of movement the noisy and the silent were oddly assorted for all that when new joys were announced to them by the centurion tones of the servant who spoke on his master's behalf they all rose leaning upon dragging or carrying one another but on the threshold of the room the entire crew paused for a moment motionless as if fascinated the intemperate pleasures of the banquet seemed to fade away at this tintillating spectacle prepared by their amphitryon to appeal to the most sensual of their instincts beneath the shining wax-lights in a golden chandelier round about a table inlaid with gilded metal a group of women whose eyes shone like diamonds suddenly met the stupefied stare of the revellers their toilettes were splendid but less magnificent than their beauty which eclipsed the other marvels of this palace a light shone from their eyes bewitching as those of sirens more brilliant and ardent than the blaze that streamed down upon the snowy marble the delicate carved surfaces of bronze and lit up the satin sheen of the tapestry the contrasts of their attitudes and the slight movements of their heads each differing in character and nature of attraction set the heart afire it was like a thicket where blossoms mingled with rubies sapphires and coral a combination of gossamer scarves that flickered like beacon lights of black ribbons about snowy throats of gorgeous turbans and demurely enticing apparel it was a seraglio that appealed to every eye and fulfilled every fancy each form posed to admiration was scarcely concealed by the folds of cashmere and half hidden half revealed by transparent gauze and diaphanous silk the little slender feet were eloquent though the fresh red lips uttered no sound demure and fragile-looking girls pictures of maidenly innocence with a semblance of conventional unction about their heads were there like apparitions that a breath might dissipate aristocratic beauties with haughty glances languid flexible slender and complacent bent their heads as though there were royal protectors still on the market 
an englishwoman seemed like a spirit of melancholy some coy pale shadowy form among ocean's mists or a type of remorse flying from crime the parisienne was not wanting in all her beauty that consists in an indescribable charm armed with her irresistible weakness vain of her costume and her wit pliant and hard a heartless passionless siren that yet can create factious treasures of passion and counterfeit emotion italians shone in the throng serene and self-possessed in their bliss handsome normans with splendid figures women of the south with black hair and well-shaped eyes la belle might have summoned together all the fair women of versailles who since morning had perfected all their wiles and now came like a troop of oriental women bidden by the slave merchant to be ready to set out at dawn they stood disconcerted and confused about the table huddled together in a murmuring group like bees in a hive the combination of timid embarrassment with coquettishness and a sort of expostulation was the result either of calculated effect or a spontaneous modesty perhaps a sentiment of which women are never utterly divested prescribed to them the cloak of modesty to heighten and enhance the charms of wantonness so the venerable telephase designs seemed on the point of collapse for these unbridled natures were subdued from the very first by the majesty with which woman is invested there was a murmur of admiration which vibrated like a soft musical note wine had not taken love for travelling companion instead of a violent tumult of passions the guests thus taken by surprise in a moment of weakness gave themselves up to the luxurious raptures of delight artists obeyed the voice of poetry which constrains them and studied with pleasure the different delicate tints of these chosen examples of beauty sobered by a thought perhaps due to some emanation from a bubble of carbonic acid in the champagne a philosopher shuddered at the misfortunes which had brought these women once perhaps worthy of the truest devotion to this each one doubtless could have unfolded a cruel tragedy infernal tortures followed in the train of most of them and they drew after them faithless men broken vows and pleasures atoned for in wretchedness polite advances were made by the guests and conversations began as varied in character as the speakers they broke up into groups it might have been a fashionable drawing-room where ladies and young girls offer after dinner the assistance that coffee liqueurs and sugar afford to diners who are struggling in the toils of a perverse digestion but in a little while laughter broke out the murmur grew and voices were raised the saturnalia subdued for a moment threatened at times to renew itself the alterations of sound and silence bore a distant resemblance to a symphony of beethoven's the two friends seated on a silken divan were first approached by a tall well-proportioned girl of stately bearing her features were irregular but her face was striking and vehement in expression and impressed the mind by the vigour of its contrasts her dark hair fell in luxuriant curls with which some hand 
seemed to have played havoc already for the locks fell lightly over the splendid shoulders that thus attracted attention the long brown curls half hid her queenly throat though where the light fell upon it the delicacy of its fine outlines was revealed her warm and vivid colouring was set off by the dead white of her complexion bold and ardent glances came from under the long eyelashes the damp red half-open lips challenged a kiss her frame was strong but compliant with a bust and arms strongly developed as in figures drawn by the karachi she yet seemed active and elastic with a panther's strength and suppleness and in the same way the energetic grace of her figure suggested fierce pleasures but though she might romp perhaps and laugh there was something terrible in her eyes and her smile like a pythoness possessed by the demon she inspired awe rather than pleasure all changes one after another flashed like lightning over every mobile feature of her face she might captivate a jaded fancy but a young man would have feared her she was like some colossal statue fallen from the height of a greek temple so grand when seen afar too roughly hewn to be seen anear and yet in spite of all her terrible beauty could have stimulated exhaustion her voice might charm the deaf her glances might put life into the bones of the dead and therefore emile was vaguely reminded of one of shakespeare's tragedies a wonderful maze in which joy groans and there is something wild even about love and the magic of forgiveness and the warmth of happiness succeed to cruel storms of rage she was a siren that can both kiss and devour laugh like a devil or weep as angels can she could concentrate in one instant all a woman's powers of attraction in a single effort the size of melancholy and the charms of maiden's shyness alone excepted then in a moment rise in fury like a nation in revolt and tear herself her passion and her lover in pieces dressed in red velvet she trampled under her reckless feet the stray flowers fallen from other heads and held out a salver to the two friends with careless hands the white arms stood out in bold relief against the velvet proud of her beauty proud who knows of her corruption she stood like a queen of pleasure like an incarnation of enjoyment the enjoyment that comes of squandering the accumulations of three generations that scoffs at its progenitors and makes merry over a corpse that will dissolve pearls and wreck thrones turn old men into boys and make young men prematurely old enjoyment only possible to giants weary of their power tormented by reflection or for whom strife has become a plaything what is your name asked raphael aquilina out of venice preserved exclaimed emile yes she answered just as a pope takes a new name when he is exalted above all other men i too took another name when i raised myself above women's level then have you like your patron saint a terrible and noble lover a conspirator who would die for you cried emile eagerly this gleam of poetry had aroused his interest 
once i had she answered but i had a rival too in la guillotine i have worn something red about me ever since lest any happiness should carry me away oh if you are going to get her on to the story of those four lads of la rochelle she will never get to the end of it that's enough aquilina as if every woman could not bewail some lover or other though not every one has the luck to lose him on the scaffold as you have done i would a great deal sooner see a lover of mine in a trench at the back of clamart than in a rival's arms all this in the gentlest and most melodious accents and pronounced by the prettiest gentlest and most innocent-looking little person that a fairy wand ever drew from an enchanted eggshell she had come up noiselessly and they became aware of a slender dainty figure charmingly timid blue eyes and white transparent brows no ingenue among the naiads a truant from her river spring could have been shyer whiter more ingenuous than this young girl seemingly about sixteen years old ignorant of evil and of the storms of life and fresh from some church in which she must have prayed the angels to call her to heaven before the time only in paris are such natures as this to be found concealing depths of depravity behind a fair mask and the most artificial vices beneath a brow as young and fair as an opening flower at first the angelic promise of those soft lineaments misled the friends raphael and emile took the coffee which she poured into the cups brought by aquilina and began to talk with her in the eyes of the two poets she soon became transformed into some sombre allegory of i know not what aspect of human life she opposed to the vigorous and ardent expression of her commanding acquaintance a revelation of heartless corruption and voluptuous cruelty heedless enough to perpetrate a crime hardy enough to feel no misgivings a pitiless demon that rings larger and kinder natures with torments that it is incapable of knowing that simpers over a traffic in love sheds tears over a victim's funeral and beams with joy over the reading of the will a poet might have admired the magnificent aquilina but the winning euphrasia must be repulsive to everyone the first was the soul of sin the second sin without a soul in it i should dearly like to know emile remarked to this pleasant being if you ever reflect upon your future my future she answered with a laugh what do you mean by my future why should i think about something that does not exist as yet i never look before or behind isn't one day at a time more than i can concern myself with as it is and besides the future as we know means the hospital how can you foresee a future in the hospital and make no effort to avert it what is there so alarming about the hospital asked the terrific aquilina when we are neither wives nor mothers when old age draws black stockings over our limbs sets wrinkles on our brows withers up the woman in us and darkens the light in our lover's eyes what could we need when that comes to pass 
you would look on us then as mere human clay we with our habiliments shall be for you like so much mud worthless lifeless crumbling to pieces going about with the rustle of dead leaves rags or the daintiest finery will be as one to us then the ambergris of the boudoir will breathe an odour of death and dry bones and suppose there is a heart there in that mud not one of you but would make mock of it not so much as a memory will you spare to us is not our existence precisely the same whether we live in a fine mansion with lap-dogs to tend or sort rags in a workhouse does it make much difference whether we shall hide our grey heads beneath lace or a handkerchief striped with blue and red whether we sweep a crossing with a birch broom or the steps of the tuileries with satins whether we sit beside a gilded hearth or cower over the ashes in a red earthen pot whether we go to the opera or look on in the place de grive aquilina mia you have never shown more sense than in this depressing fit of yours eurasia remarked yes cashmere point d'alencon perfumes gold silks luxury and everything that sparkles everything pleasant belongs to youth alone time alone may show us our folly but good fortune will acquit us you are laughing at me she went on with a malicious glance at the friends but am i not right i would sooner die of pleasure than of illness i am not afflicted with a mania for perpetuity nor have i a great veneration for human nature such as god has made it give me millions and i will squander them i should not keep one centime for the year to come live to be charming and have power that is the decree of my every heart-beat society sanctions my life does it not pay for my extravagances why does providence pay me every morning my income which i spend every evening why are hospitals built for us and providence did not put good and evil on either hand for us to select what tires and pains us i should be very foolish if i did not amuse myself and how about others asked emile others oh, oh well they must manage for themselves i prefer laughing at their woes to weeping over my own i defy any man to give me the slightest uneasiness what have you suffered to make you think like this asked raphael i myself have been forsaken for an inheritance she said striking an attitude that displayed all her charms and yet i had worked night and day to keep my lover i am not to be gulled by any smile or vow and i have set myself to make one long entertainment of my life but does not happiness come from the soul within cried raphael it may be so aquilina answered but it is nothing to be conscious of admiration and flattery to triumph over other women even over the most virtuous humiliating them before our beauty and our splendour not only so one day of our life is worth ten years of a bourgeois existence and so it is all summed up is not a woman hateful without virtue emile said to raphael euphrasia's glance was like a viper's as she said with an irony in her voice that cannot be rendered virtue 
we leave that to deformity and to ugly women what would the poor things be without it hush be quiet emile broke in don't talk about something you have never known that i have never known euphrasia answered you give yourself for life to some person you abominate you must bring up children who will neglect you who wound your very heart and you must say thank you for it and these are the virtues you prescribe to woman and that is not enough by way of requiting her self-denial you must come and add to her sorrows by trying to lead her astray and though you are rebuffed she is compromised a nice life how far better to keep one's freedom to follow one's inclinations in love and die young have you no fear of the price to be paid some day for all this even then she said instead of mingling pleasures and troubles my life will consist of two separate parts a youth of happiness is secure and there may come a hazy uncertain old age during which i can suffer at my leisure she has never loved came in the deep tones of aquilina's voice she never went a hundred leagues to drink in one look and a denial with untold raptures she has not hung her own life on a thread nor tried to stab more than one man to save her sovereign lord her king her divinity love for her meant a fascinating colonel here she is with her la rochelle euphrasia made answer love comes like the wind no one knows whence and for that matter if one of those brutes had once fallen in love with you you would hold sensible men in horror brutes are put out of the question by the code said the tall sarcastic aquilina i thought you had more kindness for the army laughed euphrasia how happy they are in their power of dethroning their reason in this way raphael exclaimed happy asked aquilina with dreadful look and a smile full of pity and terror ah you do not know what it is to be condemned to a life of pleasure with your dead hidden in your heart a moment's consideration of the rooms was like a foretaste of milton's pandemonium the faces of those still capable of drinking wore a hideous blue tint from burning draughts of punch mad dancers were kept up with wild energy excited laughter and outcries broke out like the explosion of fireworks the boudoir and a small adjoining room were strewn like a battlefield with the insensible and incapable wine pleasure and dispute had heated the atmosphere wine and love delirium and unconsciousness possessed them and were written upon all faces upon the furniture were expressed by the surrounding disorder and brought light films over the vision of those assembled so that the air seemed full of intoxicating vapour a glittering dust arose as in the luminous paths made by a ray of sunlight the most bizarre forms flitted through it grotesque struggles were seen athwart it groups of interlaced figures blended with the white marbles the noble masterpieces of sculpture that adorned the rooms though the two friends yet 
preserved a sort of fallacious clearness in their ideas and voices a feeble appearance and faint thrill of animation it was yet almost impossible to distinguish what was real among the fantastic absurdities before them or what foundation there was for the impossible pictures that passed unceasingly before their weary eyes the strangest phenomena of dreams beset them the lowering heavens the fervid sweetness caught by faces in our visions and unheard of agility under the load of chains all these so vividly that they took the pranks of the orgy about them for the freaks of some nightmare in which all movement is silent and cries never reach the ear the valet de chambre succeeded just then after some little difficulty in drawing his master into the antechamber to whisper to him the neighbors are all at their windows complaining of the racket sir if noise alarms them why don't they lay down straw before their doors was taliffe's rejoinder raphael's sudden burst of laughter was so unseasonable and abrupt that his friend demanded the reason of his unseemly hilarity you will hardly understand me he replied in the first place i must admit that you stopped me on the quai voltaire just as i was about to throw myself into the seine and you would like to know no doubt my motives for dying and when i proceed to tell you that by an almost miraculous chance the most poetic memorials of the material world had but just then been summed up for me as a symbolical interpretation of human wisdom whilst at this minute the remains of all the intellectual treasures ravaged by us at table are comprised in these two women the living and authentic types of folly would you be any the wiser our profound apathy towards men and things supplied the half-tones in a crudely contrasted picture of two theories of life so diametrically opposed if you were not drunk you might perhaps catch a gleam of philosophy in this and if you had not both feet on this fascinating aquilina whose heavy breathing suggests an analogy with the sounds of a storm about to burst replied emile absently engaged in the harmless amusement of winding and unwinding euphrasia's hair you would be ashamed of your inebriated garrulity both your systems can be packed in a phrase and reduced to a single idea the mere routine of living brings a stupid kind of wisdom with it by blunting our intelligence with work and on the other hand a life passed in the limbo of the abstract or in the abysses of the moral world produces a sort of wisdom run mad the conditions may be summed up in brief we may extinguish emotion and so live to old age or we may choose to die young as martyrs to contending passions and yet this decree is at variance with the temperaments with which we are endowed by the bitter jester who modelled all creatures idiot raphael burst in go on epitomizing yourself after that fashion and you will fill volumes if i attempted to formulate those two ideas clearly i might as well say that a man is corrupted by the exercise of his wits and purified by ignorance you are calling the whole fabric of society to account 
but whether we live with the wise or perish with the fool isn't the result the same sooner or later and have not the prime constituents of the quintessence of both systems been before expressed in a couple of words karimari karimara you make me doubt the existence of a god for your stupidity is greater than his power said emile our beloved rabelais summed it all up in a shorter word than your carimari carimara from his peu être montaigne derived his own qu'est-ce after all this last word of moral science is scarcely more than the cry of pyrrhus set betwixt good and evil or bourdin's ass between two measures of oats but let this everlasting question alone resolved to-day by a yes and a no what experience did you look to find by a jump into the seine were you jealous of the hydraulic machine at the pont notre dame ah if you but knew my history pooh said emile i did not think you could be so commonplace that remark is hackneyed don't you know that every one of us claims to have suffered as no other ever did ah raphael sighed what a mountbank art thou with thy ah look here now does some disease of the mind or body by contracting your muscles bring back of a morning the wild horses that tear you in pieces at night as with demiens once upon a time were you driven to sup off your own dog in a garret uncooked and without salt have your children ever cried i am hungry have you sold your mistress's hair to hazard the money at play have you ever drawn a sham bill of exchange on a fictitious uncle at a sham address and feared lest you should not be in time to take it up come now i am attending if you were going to drown yourself or some woman or by way of a protest or out of sheer dullness i disown you make your confession and no lies i don't at all want a historical memoir and above all things be as concise as your clouded intellect permits i am as critical as a professor and as sleepy as a woman at her vespers you silly fool said raphael when has not suffering been keener for a more susceptible nature some day when science has attained to a pitch that enables us to study the natural history of hearts when they are named and classified in genre sub-genre and families into crustaceae fossils suranians infusoria or whatever it is then my dear fellow it will be ascertained that there are natures as tender and fragile as flowers that are broken by the slight bruises that some stony hearts do not even feel for pity's sake spare me thy exordium said emile as half plaintive half amused he took raphael's hand two a woman without a heart after a moment's silence raphael said with a careless gesture perhaps it is an effect of the fumes of punch i really cannot tell this clearness of mind that enables me to comprise my whole life in a single picture where figures and hues lights shades and half-tones are faithfully rendered i should not have 
been so surprised at this poetical play of imagination if it were not accompanied with a sort of scorn from my past joys and sorrows seen from afar my life appears to contract by some mental process that long slow agony of ten years duration can be brought to memory to-day in some few phrases in which pain is resolved into a mere idea and pleasure becomes a philosophical reflection instead of feeling things i weigh and consider them you are as tiresome as the explanation of an amendment cried emile very likely said raphael submissively i spare you the first seventeen years of my life for fear of abusing a listener's patience till that time like you and thousands of others i had lived my life at school or the lycee with its imaginary troubles and genuine happinesses which are so pleasant to look back upon our jaded palates still crave for that lenten fare so long as we have not tried it afresh it was a pleasant life with the tasks that we thought so contemptible but which taught us application for all that let the drama begin said emile half plaintively half comically when i left school raphael went on with a gesture that claimed the right of speaking my father submitted me to a strict discipline he installed me in a room near his own study and i had to rise at five in the morning and be in bed by nine at night he meant me to take my law studies seriously i attended the schools and read with an advocate as well but my lectures and work were so narrowly circumscribed by the laws of time and space and my father required such a strict account of my doings at dinner that what is this to me asked emile the devil take you said raphael how are you to enter into my feelings if i do not relate the facts that insensibly shaped my character made me timid and prolonged the period of youthful simplicity in this manner i cowered under as strict a despotism as a monarch's till i came of age to depict the tedium of my life it will be perhaps enough to portray my father to you he was tall thin and slight with a hatchet face and pale complexion a man of few words fidgety as an old maid exacting as a senior clerk his paternal solicitude hovered over my merriment and gleeful thoughts and seemed to cover them with a leaden pall any effusive demonstration on my part was received by him as a childish absurdity i was far more afraid of him than i had been of any of our masters at school i seemed to see him before me at this moment in his chestnut-brown frock-coat he looked like a red herring wrapped up in the cover of a pamphlet and he held himself as erect as an easter candle but i was fond of my father and at heart he was right enough perhaps we never hate severity when it has its source in greatness of character and pure morals and is skilfully tempered with kindness my father it is true never left me a moment to myself and only when i was twenty years old gave me so much as ten francs of my own ten knavish prodigals of francs 
such a hoard as i had long vainly desired which set me a dreaming of unutterable felicity yet for all that he sought to procure relaxations for me when he had promised me a treat beforehand he would take me to les bouffons or to a concert or ball where i hoped to find a mistress a mistress that meant independence but bashful and timid as i was knowing nobody and ignorant of the dialect of drawing-rooms i always came back as awkward as ever and swelling with unsatisfied desires to be put in harness like a troop horse next day by my father and to return with mourning to my advocate the palais de justice and the law to have swerved from the straight course which my father had mapped out for me would have drawn down his wrath upon me at my first delinquency he threatened to ship me off as a cabin-boy to the antilles a dreadful shiver ran through me as if i had ventured to spend a couple of hours in some pleasure party imagine the most wandering imagination and passionate temperament the tenderest soul and most artistic nature dwelling continually in the presence of the most flint-hearted atrabilious and frigid man on earth think of me as a young girl married to a skeleton and you will understand the life whose curious scenes can only be a hearsay tale to you the plans for running away that perished at the sight of my father the despair soothed by slumber the dark broodings charmed away by music i breathed my sorrows forth in melodies beethoven or mozart would keep my confidences sacred nowadays i smile at recollections of the scruples which burdened my conscience at that epoch of innocence and virtue if i set foot in a restaurant i gave myself up for lost my fancy led me to look on a cafe as a disreputable haunt where men lost their characters and embarrassed their fortunes as for engaging in play i had not the money to risk oh if i needed to send you to sleep i would tell you about one of the most frightful pleasures of my life one of those pleasures with fangs that bury themselves in the heart as the branding iron enters the convict's shoulder i was at a ball at the house of duke de navarrains my father's cousin but to make my position the more perfectly clear you must know that i wore a threadbare coat ill-fitting shoes a tie fit for a stableman and a soiled pair of gloves i shrank into a corner to eat ices and watch the pretty faces at my leisure my father noticed me actuated by some motive that i did not fathom so dumbfounded was i by this act of confidence he handed me his keys and purse to keep ten paces away some men were gambling i heard the rattling of gold i was twenty years old i longed to be steeped for one whole day in the follies of my time of life it was a license of the imagination that would find a parallel neither in the freaks of courtesans nor in the dreams of young girls for a year past i had beheld myself well dressed in a carriage with a pretty woman by my side playing the great lord 
dining at Verdi's, deciding not to go back home till the morrow, but was prepared for my father with a plot more intricate than the marriage of Figaro, which he could not possibly have unravelled. All this bliss would cost, I estimated, fifty crowns. Was it not the artless idea of playing truant that still had charms for me? I went into a small adjourning room, and when alone counted my father's money with smarting eyes and trembling fingers a hundred crowns the joys of my escapade rose before me at the thought of the amount joys that flitted about me like macbeth's witches round their cauldron joys how alluring how thrilling how delicious i became a deliberate rascal i heeded neither my tingling ears nor the violent beating of my heart but took out two twenty-franc pieces that i seemed to see yet the dates had been erased and bonaparte's head simpered upon them after i had put back the purse in my pocket i returned to the gaming-table with the two pieces of gold in the palms of my damp hands prowling about the players like a sparrow-hawk round a coop of chickens tormented by inexpressible terror i flung a sudden clairvoyant glance round me and feeling quite sure that i was seen by none of my acquaintance betted out a stout jovial little man heaping upon his head more players and vows than are put up during two or three storms at sea then with an intuitive scoundrelism or machiavellism surprising in one of my age i went and stood in the door and looked about me in the rooms though i saw nothing for both mind and eyes hovered about that fateful green cloth that evening fixes the date of a first observation of a physiological kind to it i owe a kind of insight into certain mysteries of our double nature that i have since been enabled to penetrate I had my back turned on the table where my future felicity lay at stake, a felicity but so much the more intense that it was criminal. Between me and the players stood a wall of onlookers some five feet deep, who were chatting. The murmur of voices drowned the clinking of gold which mingled in the sounds set up by this orchestra yet despite all obstacles i distinctly heard the words of the two players by a gift accorded to the passions which enables them to annihilate time and space i saw the points they made i knew which of the two turned up the king as well as if i had actually seen the cards at a distance of ten paces in short the fortunes of play blanched my face my father suddenly went by and then i knew what the scripture meant by the spirit of god passed before his face i had won i slipped through the crowd of men who had gathered about the players with the quickness of an eel escaping through a broken mesh in a net my nerves thrilled with joy instead of anguish i felt like some criminal on the way to torture released by a chance meeting with the king it happened that a man with a decoration found himself short by forty francs uneasy eyes suspected me i turned pale and drops of perspiration stood on my forehead i was well punished i thought for having robbed my father 
then the kind little stout man said in a voice like an angel's surely all these gentlemen have paid their stakes and put down the forty francs himself i raised my head in triumph upon the players after i had returned the money i had taken from it to my father's purse i left my winnings with that honest and worthy gentleman who continued to win as soon as i found myself possessed of a hundred and sixty francs i wrapped them up in my handkerchief so that they could neither move or rattle on the way back and i played no more what were you doing at the card-table said my father as he stepped into the carriage i was looking on i answered trembling but it would have been nothing out of the common if you had been prompted by self-love to put some money down on the table in the eyes of men of the world you are quite old enough to assume the right to commit such follies so i should have pardoned you raphael if you had made use of my purse i did not answer when we reached home i returned the keys and money to my father as he entered his study he emptied out his purse on the mantelpiece counted the money and turned to me with a kindly look saying with more or less long and significant pauses between each phrase my boy you are very nearly twenty now i am satisfied with you you ought to have an allowance if only to teach you how to lay it out and to gain some acquaintance with everyday business henceforward i shall let you have a hundred francs each month here is your first quarter's income for this year he added fingering a pile of gold as if to make sure that the amount was correct do what you please with it i confess that i was ready to fling myself at his feet to tell him that i was a thief a scoundrel and worse than all a liar but a feeling of shame held me back i went up to him for an embrace but he gently pushed me away you are a man now my child he said what i have just done was a very proper and simple thing for which there is no need to thank me if i have any claim to your gratitude raphael he went on in a kind but dignified way it is because i have preserved your youth from the evils that destroy young men in paris we will be two friends henceforth in a year's time you will be a doctor of law not without some hardship and privations you have acquired the sound knowledge and love of and application to work that is indispensable to public men you must learn to know me raphael i do not want to make either an advocate or a notary of you but a statesman who shall be the pride of our poor house good night he added from that day my father took me fully into his confidence i was an only son and ten years before i had lost my mother in time past my father the head of a historic family remembered even now at auvergne had come to paris to fight against his evil star dissatisfied at the prospect of tilling the soil with his useless sword by his side he was endowed with the shrewdness that gives the men of the south of france a certain ascendancy when energy goes with it almost unaided he made a position for himself near the fountain of power 
the revolution brought a reverse of fortune but he had managed to marry an heiress of good family and in the time of the empire appeared to be on the point of restoring to our house its ancient splendour the restoration while it brought back considerable property to my mother was my father's ruin he had formerly purchased several estates abroad conferred by the emperor on his generals and now for ten years he struggled with liquidators diplomatists and prussian and bavarian courts of law over the disputed possession of these unfortunate endowments my father plunged me into the intricate labyrinths of law proceedings on which our future depended we might be compelled to return the rents as well as the proceeds arising from sales of timber made during the years eighteen fourteen to eighteen seventeen in that case my mother's property would have barely saved our credit so it fell out that the day on which my father in a fashion emancipated me brought me under a most galling yoke i entered on a conflict like a battlefield i must work day and night seek interviews with statesmen surprise their convictions try to interest them in our affairs and gain them over with their wives and servants and their very dogs and all this abominable business had to take the form of pretty speeches and polite attentions then i knew the mortifications that had left their blighting traces on my father's face for about a year i led outwardly the life of a man of the world but enormous labours lay beneath the surface of gadding about and eager efforts to attach myself to influential kinsmen or to people likely to be useful to us my relaxations were lawsuits and memorials still furnished the staple of my conversation hitherto my life had been blameless from the sheer impossibility of indulging the desires of youth but now i became my own master and in dread of involving us both in ruin by some piece of negligence i did not dare to allow myself any pleasure or expenditure while we are young and before the world has rubbed off the delicate bloom from our sentiments the freshness of our impressions the noble purity of conscience which will never allow us to palter with evil the sense of duty is very strong within us the voice of honour clamours within us and we are open and straightforward at that time i was all these things i wished to justify my father's confidence in me but lately i would have stolen a paltry sum from him with secret delight but now that i share the burden of his affairs of his name and of his house i would secretly have given up my fortune and my hopes for him as i was sacrificing my pleasures and even have been glad of the sacrifice so when m de villers exhumed for our special benefit an imperial decree concerning forfeitures and had ruined us i authorized the sale of my property only retaining an island in the middle of the loire where my mother was buried 
perhaps arguments and evasions philosophical philanthropic and political considerations would not fail me now to hinder the perpetration of what my solicitor termed a folly but at one-and-twenty i repeat we are all aglow with generosity and affection the tears that stood in my father's eyes were to me the most splendid of fortunes and the thought of those tears has often soothed my sorrow ten months after he had paid his creditors my father died of grief i was his idol and he had ruined me the thought killed him towards the end of the autumn of eighteen twenty six at the age of twenty-two i was the sole mourner at his graveside the grave of my father and my earliest friend not many young men have found themselves alone with their thoughts as they followed hearse or have seen themselves lost in crowded paris and without money or prospects orphans rescued by public charity have at any rate the future of the battlefield before them and find a shelter in some institution and a father in the government or in the procureur du roi i had nothing end of section three